0: Well, good morning, Gospel City. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1. And we will continue in the prologue of John where we left off last week. And John was written, as he told us in John chapter 20, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I have... Been inspired this week. I have been fired up this week. My 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 flame has been fanned this week as I have been studying the prologue of John. It is amazing. We could spend ten weeks in the prologue of John, and yet we will continue today. And it's really broken up in, in three sections. The first section we looked at last week about who is Jesus from an eternal point of view. So we looked at the eternality, the divinity, and the lordship of this person, Jesus Christ, who is God and was God from the beginning. He was with God and he was God. The second portion of the prologue that we'll look at today, verses 6 through 13, they really confront us with the question, what will you do with Jesus? And what you're going to see today in this text is that there's really two responses when it comes to Jesus. Either you reject Jesus and you remain dead in darkness, or there are those who, who receive Jesus and believe in his name and they are given the right to become children of God. But what we should see today as we look at this text is that there is no one who is neutral when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. No one is neutral. You either receive him as God or you reject him as God. And then next week we'll look at verses 14 through 18, which again talk about who Jesus is, but then from an earthly point of view. We see it from an incarnational point of view. We'll we'll talk about Christmas next week because Jesus, the word who was in the beginning with God and was God, he becomes flesh in our sort of way and he lives our kind of life and that is just a fascinating thing. But if you are here Today and you have been adopted as a child of God and you have been walking with Jesus as your Lord and your King for some time, praise God. But, but what our pastors, what I've been praying for you is that as we step into John, you, know, you might be asking, what do I do if I already believe and have life in his name? What do I do with the book of John? I pray that, that your belief would continue to transform you from the inside out. The more you study Jesus's life in the gospel of John, I believe that it can take the the greatest follower of Christ in our midst to a deeper level because none of us have arrived. So don't come with that kind of attitude. Come with an attitude that says, Holy Spirit, would you transform and shape my heart according to your gospel? But then if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, there may be people in our midst who you're checking things out and you heard about what God's doing here and and you've maybe seen what God's doing from a distance and you've come to see what it's all about. Why do we stand and raise our hands and why do we sing so loud and sing so long and why do we devote ourselves to prayer? Uh, You are in the right place and the spirit of God has brought you here and the message today is a gift to you from God's word that you might see And savor the person of Jesus Christ that you might be confronted with the question, what will you do with Jesus? So here's the big idea that I want to go after in our time together. The light of Christ demands I make a decision about Jesus. The light of Christ. Jesus is the true light we'll see today. But he also brings an illumination to our dark and ignorant world. The light of Christ demands that I make a decision about Jesus. Jesus. So it's a holy moment, but let's get our eyes on a copy of John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of the prologue, and let's worship together through his word. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've had already to exalt the name of Christ. We thank you for how your word does that. We thank you for how everything in your word is pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ, the lamb upon his throne. Father, this morning, would you help us to encounter Jesus? We've come here probably with a plethora of things on our minds. All week long, the world has preached to us that there are other things that we should give our attention to. There are other things that we should care about more than this, But Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning that everything that this world has to offer pales in comparison to Christ. So Jesus, would you reign supreme on the throne of our hearts? Would you reign supreme on the throne of this church? And Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Would you look into our hearts? Would you cause a greater and deeper belief in those who have walked with you for a long time that we might be able to praise you more to the praise of your glorious grace? Lord, for those who are listening, for those who are watching online, for those who are in the room who do not know you, Holy Spirit, would you confront us this morning with our desperate need for a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we jump into this, I want you to think back to a time in your life whenever you were scared of the dark. My mind automatically went to uh, growing up, I would go spend the night at my grandma Clute's house. My grandma Clute is awesome. She was here recently visiting this past week and we kind of did Christmas. She's getting older now and I gave her a hug as she went away and went back with my parents. But I remember growing up, I was the the oldest grandchild, the first grandchild of eight grandchildren. So I got the benefits and the perks of being the oldest, the first grandchild. And she was like the right kind of grandma to, to be that kid because she spoiled the heck out of me. And uh, I would go over to her house every now and then, and, and I would get to spend the night. And I remember staying in this one particular bedroom in her house, affectionately known as the ducky room by my brothers and I, because it had duck wallpaper all over it. But she would put an, a nightlight in that room every time I would spend the night so that I'd be comfortable in a room that was not my own. And, and you know, a nightlight, it just provides enough light in the room to let you know that you're okay and to kind of ease a young boy's imagination because at night in the dark when you're sleeping in a room for some reason we think all of the monsters come out at that time and even with my own kids you know they love the light to be on in the hallway that that like sliver of light that comes through the doorway is just a comfort to them it lets them know that they're not alone lets them know that they're comfortable uh, I've told you before some of you may have not been here when we were going through Ephesians my son Zion he he lets me know or lets us know when it's too dark because when the light's out and he wakes up in the middle of the night, he just simply yells from his bed, too dark. And that's how he lets us know that we need to go and turn on the light so that he feels comfortable. But darkness, it's always been a bit scary to us growing up as kids, but darkness in the Bible, it's a little scary as well. All throughout the Bible, darkness represents a lot more than our scary bedrooms at night. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about darkness, and darkness in the Bible is a representation of an evil day and age that we live in. Darkness in the Bible represents judgment. If you read Exodus chapter 10, you see darkness falling over the land as God is is pouring out judgment on Egypt. Uh, It represents a sinful and broken humanity, it represents lostness and misery. If you read John's other writings in his epistles, 1 John, it talks a lot about what it looks like to walk in darkness. It doesn't look like walking in righteousness. John often talks about loving the world and hiding sin is a form of darkness when it comes to our sinful nature. Darkness in the Bible is ignorance, ignorance to the wisdom of God, ignorance to the person, the nature, and the purpose of God. and Ultimately, darkness equals death in the Bible. So to not have a relationship with God through Jesus is to live your life in darkness. That's what the Bible says. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture on the screen. Proverbs 4.19 says this, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Here's the thing that the gospel illuminates for all of us is that we are the wicked ones. Uh, The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all else. So without Christ, it's like we're stumbling around in this life in deep darkness. 1 John 1.6, John writes, If we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So don't say that you follow God and walk in darkness. Walk in the way of the world. Walk in the things that the world tells you and that you should be paying attention to or glorifying. In Colossians 1.13, Paul writes this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So this is a sort of salvation verse that tells us whenever you are dead in your sin before Christ, you're, you're living in a domain of darkness. That's ruled by Satan, that's ruled by the course of this world. Your flesh is all wrapped up in things lesser than the God of glory, and you desperately need transferred to another kingdom. Ephesians 5:11 we studied this. take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, Christian, expose them. So taking part unfruitful works of darkness in Ephesians chapter five and four, you can go through there. it's, it's any coarse talk coming out of your mouth. It's unforgiveness. It's not being kind to one another. It's anything that brings disunity among brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It's any hint of sexual immorality among you. All of those things would be categorized as works of darkness. And the believer is not to walk in those things or take part in those things. The believer is to now expose those things and to root them out of their lives. So really everything regarding our world and our nature post Genesis 3 and the man's fall in the garden can be described as darkness. Darkness has plagued our nature. Darkness has plagued our world. So when John writes in verse 4 and 5, we looked at it last week, but in him, Jesus, who was in the beginning with God and was God and who made all of creation, in him was life And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As students of the Bible who now understand the Bible's definition of darkness, these verses should bring you so much hope this morning. Because the Bible spells out each of our reality apart from Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Each of us are dead in darkness. We are spiritually ignorant, and any religious effort we make is like stumbling around in the dark. Any attempt to fill the spiritual void in our life that has been placed there by sin is like walking around in a dark room where we'll no doubt stub our toes and bang our shins and wander about, never finding hope. So we desperately need life and life, life and light. We cannot meet this need on our own, and that's exactly what John proclaims Jesus is. He is life to the spiritually dead, and he is light to those who wander in deep spiritual darkness. The gospel is the good news that we don't have to stay lost in darkness and despair, but can have an abundant grace-filled life in the person of Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning with God, who died as God in your place on the cross, and who rose again from the dead and reigns as God the Lamb in eternity, where our attention is trying to be set today. As we worship him in Jesus is life and that life is the light of men and and that life and light it illuminates some things for us as we get into this second section of the prologue. The first point that I'll give to you this morning is this the light illuminates gospel ministry the light illuminates gospel ministry. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Some of you heard me say last week that the apostle John who's writing this never mentions his name. And then I got thinking that I read the prologue to you and I saw some puzzled looks on some faces. And my wife reminded me, it it says John right there in verse 6. And so maybe you thought, it says it right there, Micah. Well, (laughs) the apostle John who's writing the gospel according to John, he never refers to himself Uh, He only refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. In verse 6, it's a different John. John is telling us about John the baptizer or John the Baptist who would precede Jesus Christ. There's only one other John mentioned in this gospel, and that's the father of Simon Peter. But this is a different John. Uh, Verse 6 through 8 may seem very oddly placed to you as you're reading this. Doesn't it read really fluidly? Except for when you get to six, you're like, there was a man sent by God whose name was John. And you're like, where did that come from? I want to show you why it's so important. Let's read that little paragraph. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So in reading this, the apostle is telling us that this John has a specific purpose and a specific message, but there's some real weight behind this particular John, because the apostle writes that he was sent by God. How many of you have heard a pastor say, I was sent by God to tell you this morning? You ever heard a pastor say that? I've heard pastors say, it adds a little effect. I could come here and start my message that way. I was sent by God to tell you this morning. But what should be running through your brain, if a pastor says that to you in this this day and age is, was he really sent by God? Like, did God audibly tell him to come and tell me that? And, and what are the contents of his message? W- what does the Bible have to say about what this man is telling me that God told him to say to me? I've heard some pastors say, I was sent by God to tell you. And then the message that they went on to give, I don't, I'm not so sure that God would want them giving that message. But when John writes that this John has been sent by God, we can not only believe him, but we can measure it with the Old Testament and see that this John is just another piece of the proof that Jesus is indeed the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord of all creation. So all of this is evidence pointing to Jesus as God. John the Baptist was foretold of. It was told that he would come and precede the Messiah, the long-awaited Mashiach of the Jewish people. Let me show you in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. We'll look at this in a few weeks when we get to uh, the second part in, in John chapter 1. But it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It's, it was duly fulfilled because this verse speaks to the people of Israel who were in captivity of Babylon, but it was also prophesying of a prophet who would come, the last Old Testament prophet who would come that would make way for Jesus, the Messiah. Someone was going to precede Jesus and declare, prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi chapter three, verse one, the last chapter in the Old Testament. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So John the apostle, I mean, he, he begins the prologue by taking us to the first book of the Bible, the first page of the Bible. And then he tells us about John by going to the last chapters in your Old Testament and showing us that preceding The word who will become flesh is the person of John the Baptist coming to tell you that the Messiah is here. John's gospel gives us, starts with 400 years of silence being broken by a witness, by a baptizer, by a man sent by God to proclaim, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And John, he had a mission and a message. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So John the baptizer busts onto the scene. I have a testimony to tell. I have a message to deliver. I have been sent here by God to tell you. Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them would light shine. Get ready, John the Baptist says. Be prepared. The light of life is coming. The light of salvation is coming. Stay vigilant. Stay alert. Don't miss the Messiah who you've longed for. Today is the day of salvation. People of Israel, believe, believe, believe. (laughs) And it's in John's witness that we see a picture of gospel ministry. So encouraged by this this week. Uh, So motivated by this this week. It it renewed my own love for, for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you may not be a prophet. It may not be said of you like Jesus said of John the Baptist. Jesus said this about John the Baptist. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus may not say that exact phrase about you specifically, but in Christ you have all that you need to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. That is what a Christian does. That's what I'm aiming to do as a pastor. That's what your elders and your pastors and directors and small group leaders and counselors and on and on must do at Gospel City if we are to remain faithful. We bear witness to the only truth that Jesus is the only one able to give light and life to the blind, to the lost, and to the dead. So John the Baptist, his example preceding Christ, should be illuminating your gospel purpose as a believer and a follower of Christ today, that you prepare the way of the Lord because he promises to come again. And, and we boldly go with the gospel of Jesus Christ, declaring that he is God and he alone can save. Now the term bear witness, it, it, it's really a courtroom term. The witness stand in a courtroom. John came to get on the witness stand in front of the whole jury as the evidence preparing the way for the Messiah and with the truth that Jesus is the light of the world coming to save his people from their sins. You and I are called to know less as believers in this day and age. The truth that Jesus is the light should illuminate your purpose once again this morning. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus left the apostles with this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and indwelled believers, that was the new norm for believers, the right side of the cross. If you are in Christ today, the Holy Spirit has filled you. He has indwelled you and he hasn't left and so you've been given the power and the message from on high to proclaim his gospel to the ends of the earth. Like John, we bear witness to the truth that Jesus is the only light. We need to be familiar with the evidence and boldly testify. We tell others of the light of Christ that can overcome their spiritual darkness. We are unashamed of the gospel of the light of Christ. You know, that word witness in verse 7 In the Greek, it's martyrios, which became martyr. So so bearing unashamed witness about the person of Jesus Christ got so many killed that it became synonymous with martyrdom. John the Baptist, who we're talking about, he ends up losing his head, and it's delivered to Herod on a platter. Many of the apostles lost their lives for their testimony. Peter was hung upside down on a cross to die. For many of us here in America, sharing your faith, it may only get you made fun of in this day and age. And yet how often do we keep our mouths closed? How many of us grow passive to the powerful realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our day and age? How many of us have grown tired of the evidence of Christ as Messiah because you've heard it week after week. You heard it growing up in your life. It's just another normal thing that you can spout off As you talk, how many of us put our Bibles on the shelves and pacify ourselves with the gods of entertainment and worldliness? That's what the darkness of this world wants you to do. To grow passive to the message of Jesus Christ. To grow passive. Imagine if John the Baptist was like, I got better things to do. (laughs) I got better things to do than, than bear witness about the light who is coming. They didn't even believe him. Many didn't even believe him. They missed the Messiah, and yet they had proof that the Old Testament said he would come and precede Christ. Let the light illuminate your gospel purpose once again this morning. Run and bear testimony. Bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the true light who lit up your life and changed your status from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. Notice verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John's ministry wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. John's message wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. John preached Christ, and Gospel City Church must preach Christ. There is one name that matters. It's not my name. It's not your worship team's name. It's not a a pastor or leader's name. It's not your elder's name. It's not your name. It is the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. He must reign supreme in our lives. He must reign supreme over this body. If we are to look to him, then we are to preach him. We are to sing him. We are to pray to him. We are to lead others to him boldly. And I've just been just, overwhelmed by this and, and fired up to talk about it this morning because I, I want us to, to seek something higher, to go for something bigger. You know, I, I, I'm thankful for the common grace blessings that God has given us in this world. But so often I, I just get sidetracked by, by meaningless things. I care about the football game. I care about the playoffs. I care about the basketball games. I care about my, my schedule. All of that pales in comparison to Christ. Let us seek the supremacy of Christ above all things, that he might reign preeminent in our lives. That's what John the Baptist came to prepare people for. And if we're faithful to our gospel purpose as believers, it will illuminate two realities, two responses that we see in the text. The second point this morning is this. The light illuminates man's depravity. The light illuminates man's depravity. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It's not as explicit as uh, verse 14. We'll look at that next week. But clearly it's a reference to the incarnation. The truth that the light of life was coming to our planet. But what I want to look at, is the phrase, which gives light to everyone. Does this mean that everyone is saved because Jesus shone his light on everyone? Clearly not the case, right? Because you look at the world and the the way is wide that's leading to destruction. The way is wide of people who are living in darkness and living for themselves and searching for something in the world. And the way is narrow that's leading to life. So this phrase goes back to what I said at the beginning of the message. No one is neutral when it comes to Jesus. And that's because the true light has been revealed to the whole world through the nature of Christ, through the coming of Christ, through the gospel, the message that he would come to give. And now through his word. We have no excuse. We have been encountered with the person of Jesus. Because of this, it leaves everyone without an excuse to bow to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Everyone, without an excuse, to bow to Jesus as Savior and Lord, as God who was in the beginning with Him and was Him. Romans 1, chapter 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal powers and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. The sunset, the the beautiful snow that adorns the the trees outside your window, the very breath in your lungs every morning, that alone is enough to give you no excuse to follow Jesus. I mean, you, you can look at a sunset and know that there is a God. But even more than that is the person and nature of Jesus who becomes flesh, the true light who was in the world and created the world, coming to our world, that should cause you to drop to your knees and bow your head and follow Christ today. In our finite minds, you would think that the beauty and the radiance of the light of Jesus would cause all of mankind to run to him. Yet what the light of Christ illuminates first is the depravity and the wickedness Of our human hearts. Rather than running to the light, the darkness retreats. Rather than loving the light, darkness denies it altogether. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, Jesus, in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. There may be no greater description of man's sinful rebellion and depravity than that right there. The creator before his creation as a stranger. The creator in his creation as an outcast. The creator handled by his creation as a thief and as a blasphemer. A.W. Pink writes this. How tragic when we read that God sent John to bear witness of the light. How pathetic that there should be any need for this. How solemn the statement that men have to be told the light is now in their midst. What a revelation of man's fallen condition. Who needs to be told that the sun is shining? Only those who are blind. So Jesus made our eyes, yet we refused to see his glory. Jesus made our ears, yet we refused to listen to his words. Jesus made our heads Yet we refuse in our stubborn pride to bow our heads to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not only does our sinfulness blind us from the light of Christ, but man's depravity blinded the Jewish people from their own long-awaited Messiah. Everything that the Old Testament is pointing to is the person, the Messiah, and they missed him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The Jews had the promise of Genesis 3 verse 15 that the seed of the woman would come to crush the head of the serpent. They had the promise of Isaiah 9 that a child would be born who would be a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father and a prince of peace and they missed him. They had the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. They were hoping for a a conquering king and yet they got this suffering servant. Who was despised and rejected and killed on a cross. They had the prophecies of Zechariah. That there would be this king who would ride into town on a colt. And they missed him. He did all of those things right before their eyes. And they missed the person of Jesus. And rather than receiving the true light of Jesus of Nazareth. The Jews became the very ones who despised and rejected their own Messiah. And what did they do? They nailed him to a cross of wood. Behold the wickedness of sin. Behold the depravity of man and the wickedness of our heart. It is the most tragic reality in the world to miss and reject the person of Jesus Christ. But you are without excuse today because the true light who gives light to everyone came into the world and died in your place. I'm not naive enough to think that there are those here today who continue to retreat from the light and hide in the darkness. The gospel invites you, come out of hiding, come to the light, run to the light of Christ. Don't die rejecting the light and retreating from the light like God's own people did. Even we who have a relationship with God, we wake up every day, don't we, and we're tempted to go back to the darkness. Because the the spirit of God within us is contrary to the spirit of the world. And and it says, come over here, be entertained by this. Uh, uh, Fill your life with the things of this world. They will give you more pleasure. Some of you since coming to Gospel City have encountered what the light of Christ will do. It exposes the deceitfulness and the wickedness of our hearts. You know, the more I follow Christ... And the more I serve his church, the less shocked I am becoming at how fake, deceived, ill-willed, immoral, and ignorant we as humans can be. Less shocked. But as sin is being exposed within our church, the more faith I find myself having in the true light of Jesus and his ability to fix anything. His ability to make all things new. It doesn't matter what you've done. John proclaims the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Perhaps you've experienced the light of Christ through the power of the Spirit and through the preaching of God's word since coming to Gospel City. For some of you, it has exposed your own need to confess hidden sin. For some of you, it has exposed the deep-rooted sin issues in your marriage. For some, it's exposed unforgiveness and bitterness in your past. For some, it's exposed that you've been in church your whole life, and you've actually never believed the gospel in a heart-transforming kind of way. Perhaps the light has exposed the hypocrisy that you have lived in for a long time. And you might be thinking, boy, it was a lot easier before the light exposed all these things about me. But though the light may have revealed some painful depths of sinfulness in your life, the grace of God is always on display when sin is exposed. And the grace of God in the light of Christ demands that we make a decision about Jesus right here, right now. Lay it all down. Come into the light. Be changed forever. The worst day here on earth for you. The day that your sin comes out before others. The day that your sin comes out in your marriage, the day that your sin comes out in your real identity, it could be the best day in your life for the rest of eternity because Jesus can transform anything and Jesus wants to transform your life. His own rejected him, so don't reject Jesus. Don't stay dead in darkness. Come to the light. That's where the hope is found this morning in verse 12. Point number three is this. The light illuminates the new birth the light illuminates new birth verse 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God Mankind's sinful depravity is seen in the rejection of his creator, but God's redeeming grace is seen in the reception of Jesus Christ, his beloved son. To receive Jesus, verse 12 says, is to be given the right to be a child of God. We just saw how how the light illuminates our depravity and sinfulness. So just think about your own life for a moment. When you look at your life, when you look at the way that you've lived, no matter how long you've lived, when, when you look honestly at the 10 commandments and you say, I have kept all of the 10 commandments perfectly and without flaw, newsflash, no one in the room has done that. Do you think that anyone is deserving of God to give them the right to be his child? No one would raise their hand and be like, I, I deserve to be a child of God here today. The light has illuminated your sinfulness. The light illuminates your wickedness. So the grace of God is on display in this verse, and the grace of God is the only thing that can save you from dying in spiritual blindness forever, separated from the true light and an eternity in hell, which is what the Bible proclaims. You desperately need God to give you the right to be his child today, and if he's given you that right, then it's to the praise of his glorious grace, because we certainly don't deserve it. So to be sure to give the credit to the unmerited favor of God on believers, John shows us that this cannot happen by human effort. You being a child of God can't happen by human effort, can't happen by jumping through all the right religious hoops or joining the right club. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, being a child of God can't happen through natural birth. The blood flowing through your veins is sinful and defiled. A man and a woman on earth cannot reproduce a believer. Doesn't happen. Verse 13, nor of the will of the flesh. Faith is not hereditary. It's not passed down by human flesh or human effort. I cannot pass on my faith to my children other than by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and praying desperately for their souls. Verse 13, nor of the will of man. Being a child of God can't happen by a man willing himself to do anything holy, righteous, or good. The will of a man is held captive by sin. The will of a man is desperately sick. The will of a man is in need of a savior. So those given the right to become children of God, they must be, as verse 10 says, born of God. Which means the true light, which gives light to everyone, illuminates for depraved mankind the ability to be reborn. Jesus came that you might be born again. That you might have a new birth. Born not of the will of man or the flesh of man or the natural ways of mankind, but born of God. We'll talk more about the rebirth when we get to John 3 and Nicodemus. But now go back to verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is is the peak of the prologue. The first ascent, verses 1 through 11, deal with, Who is God from an eternal nature and and the descent on the other side of the mountain is who is Jesus from an incarnational point of view and what did he come to do on the earth. But at the peak of it is that all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. The hinge point of the prologue is to receive and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So pick it apart quickly. To all who did receive him, should cause you to ask this morning, how do I receive Jesus? That's how you know that salvation is by grace alone. Because that's what you do with a gift. You receive a gift. You don't earn it. You, don't, you receive it. How do you receive Jesus? You believe in his name. To receive the true light, is to believe in the name of Jesus, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And and listen, y'all, this is not a passive believism. This isn't reciting facts about Jesus that you've heard since you were a child because you had the blessing of growing up in America in a Christian home. This isn't head knowledge that doesn't wreck and transform your heart. Believing in the name of Jesus changes everything about you. It is absolutely possible to believe that Jesus came to earth, was a good person, lived a great life, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, and not be transformed from the inside out. Even Satan believes all those things, and yet he lives for a different kingdom. But belief in Jesus's name that gives you the right to become a child of God, it shows up when you bow to him as Lord, King, and Creator. It shows up when you acknowledge him as the one true God who died in your personal place on a cross. It wasn't a generalized thing. You needed Jesus to die in your place for your sin. Belief in Jesus' name that transformed, it shows up when you no longer live for your reputation, but for the fame and renown of Christ. It shows up when you're no longer interested in your old lifestyle, but in that which is in accordance with the word and the will of God. Belief in Jesus' name that transform, it shows up when your taste for worldly pleasures fade and you can't get enough of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And it shows up when your life produces fruit that can only come from the Spirit of God for the glory of God and not your own false sense of goodness. So believing that Jesus is the name above every name by which we are saved and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he alone is Lord to the glory of God, the Father Almighty. That's the only way to be saved. So what are you waiting for? The light of Christ demands that you make a decision about Jesus. I want you to bow your heads this morning and just take a moment to Just breathe in his grace. Look at your own life for a moment. There's no one neutral when it comes to the person of Jesus Christ. Where are you today? Has he saved and transformed your soul from the inside out? Praise God. Ask him to take you deeper. Ask him to root out the old places of your flesh that continue to nag and pull you toward the darkness. Ask the spirit to make your belief fresh and new in a way that moves you to action, that moves you to glorify Christ above all else. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Christ, you don't need something fancy. You don't need some fancy altar call. You just need the Spirit of God to regenerate your heart, to open your heart, and then you believe and receive Him as King and Lord. Do that right now. The light of Christ may be shining into your life, exposing your need for a Savior. Cry out to him. Call out to him. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you fall short of his glory. Ask him to be Lord and king of your life. And he'll give you the right to become a child of God. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God, who was in the beginning with God and was God, you'll be saved. So confess him as that, receive him as that. The light shines in the darkness and it cannot overcome it. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you may feel you need to expose, Jesus wants to make you new. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the revelation of you, God, in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the light that has come to light up our world, to light up our brokenness, to save us from our sin. Lord, forgive us for our broken depravity. Lord, forgive us for not acknowledging you, the creator of the universe, when you stood right before us, Lord, it could be said of us how often we miss the person of Jesus Christ because we're so focused on lesser things. Spirit of God, would you just illuminate for us the life that we've been given in the person of Jesus and and would it fuel us on to have our gospel purpose illuminated once again? Would we step into this week not just as, as people, who who believe in a God and have great blessed lives. But Lord, would you send us on mission with an urgency to bear witness about the light that all might be saved through him. And Lord, would you do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think in this community, in this church, because we are surrendered to you, the light of the world. God, we love you. We give you glory and honor and power and praise. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Come on, let's stand and let's respond together.